0: It's Friday, the 29th of January, 2021, day five of the Davos Agenda Week, and this is Radio Davos.
1: When it seems like it is lapping up against your front door, you just want to hope
2: it's not too late. We're seeing more walking the talk and not only rearranging the deck chairs on Titanic. We have learned that the impossible is also possible.
3: What happened in 2020 was that we leap from at least five to seven years in the digital advancement in the world. That is just unheard of.
1: Get involved, catch the buzz of this. This is gonna be a really cool ride, and it's gonna work. This is an educational forum where we get to be backstage at the world.
0: Hello and welcome to Radio Davos, where every day we've been bringing you a look ahead to some of the main events at the Davos Agenda Week. Later in the show, an interview with Robert Downey Jr. on how he's using his Hollywood star power to promote investment in green technologies and how we need to understand climate change deniers rather than just dismiss them. You can follow the action of Day Five Live at wf.ch Davos Agenda, where you can also catch up with the whole week's events and all editions of Radio Davos. I've been joined by a different co host each day, and I'm delighted to welcome today's, all the way from Singapore, from the Straits Times, Singapore's flagship English language daily multimedia brand, its columnist and associate editor, Ravi Valor. Hi, Ravi, how are you?
4: Good morning, Robin. I'm- Top of my game in Singapore, and it's very warm and balmy here, unlike what I assume is your condition over there in Davos.
0: Well, I'm not in Davos, I'm in Geneva. Certainly not warm and balmy, but the other end of Switzerland from Davos, far less high altitude, and for now at least considerably less snow. Great to have you here on Radio Davos. Have you ever been to an actual Davos? I've
4: been uh, two or three times. Uh, Well, aside from the uh, fact that it's quite cold and you have to watch your step wherever you're going, uh, it's uh, always innovating to be there, just the, the contacts, uh, the, the people you meet, the people you bump into uh, in, 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 a, in a bus uh, that drops you off at your hotel. I was uh, once sitting next to the president of Nigeria in one of those buses. So you can imagine, <laughs> you know, it's, towers uh, uh, is about connectivity and being connected and being concerned about the world. And, uh, well, you know, I'd like to think that's what I am too.
0: Talking of connectivity, let's have a brief listen to something that happened yesterday when we were talking about the fourth industrial revolution. Please see yesterday's Radio Davos for a proper definition of what that means exactly. But listen to this. As the developed and rich parts of the world march ahead with technologies that are rapidly changing all aspects of our lives, did you know that 3.6 billion people have no internet access, and even in developed countries, broadband services are too expensive for about half of the population? That's something the forum is seeking to address with the launch of the Davos Agenda of the Essential Digital Infrastructure and Services Network Alliance, also known as the Edison Alliance, which is something bringing industry and governments together to seek solutions. You can watch the discussion in a session called Accelerating Digital Inclusion in a Post-COVID World on the website, wf.ch slash Davos Agenda. It was on day four. I'll just play you one clip from it. This is the chairman of the newly formed Edison Alliance, Verizon CEO Hans Vestberg, on the enormous importance of getting people connected.
3: What happened in 2020 was that we leapfrog at least five to seven years in the digital inclusion in the world or the digital advancement in the world. That, that is just unheard of because usually it takes a, a progression when you, you include it in the digital uh, uh, transformation you're seeing. For the last 10 years, I've actually been talking about the mobility broadband and the cloud. It's a 21st century infrastructure. Because it's efficient, it's scalable, and it's sustainable. It has to be the most important platform we have in order to support uh, uh, the mankind on Earth. And we have seen how important it has been the last five to seven years. And putting that in the perspective of the sustainable development goals, all of those goals are underpinned by the mobility broadband and cloud. And, uh, And it has been seen more than ever.
0: Well, let's dive in and look at a session on day five called Resetting Geopolitics. In fact, two sessions, one at 12 Central European Time for people following live in Asia. That one includes foreign ministers or other senior figures from the governments of China, Japan, Indonesia, Korea and Saudi Arabia. And then the second session at 4.15 in the afternoon Central European Time. That's with ministers from Qatar, Spain, Canada and Brazil. You can follow those live or on catch up at wef.ch davosagenda Davos Agenda. Ravi, let me start by playing you this from the World Economic Forum President Burger Brenda. I asked him why geopolitics needed resetting.
2: Many of the biggest problems that we are faced with are global and can only be solved at the global level but that cooperation is currently not happening at the level we would like. Look at the three Cs, COVID, climate change, and cooperation. COVID doesn't know any kind of borders. COVID anywhere is COVID everywhere. Look at climate change. CO2 doesn't recognize any borders. So if we are going to really solve those two big, big challenges, we have to come together. We are all in the same boat and we have to find common solutions. And because of the impulses that we are seeing in a fractured uh, geopolitical world where nations don't deal with this in collaboration, uh, we are not able uh, to build resilience and solve the challenges. So what we hope during these two geopolitical panels is to get new momentum and have agreement uh, on using the multilateral channels and cooperation to really address these pressing issues. The signals coming now from the new Biden administration is also showing that uh, the US is willing, uh, as the largest economy in the world, uh, to re enter some of these tools. Paris Accord, US is back. And uh, President Biden also has now said that uh, the US is going to re enter the WHO.
0: But resetting geopolitics. We had Klaus Schwab at the beginning of the week saying 2021 would be a crucial year for humanity. And I, I just have the feeling that there are going to be some big changes to geopolitics this year. What's your view on it, Ravi?
4: The big one, of course, is uh, the US-China relationship. Uh, it's tough at this point, so early in the in the days of the administration, to predict what's going to happen. You cannot uh, expect uh, too much of a change from the Trump policies uh, uh, towards China. Uh, it could be a matter of nuancing, but uh, uh, substantial differences are not going to be so easily worked out. Uh, you know, and you must remember, Robin, that uh, uh, Joe Biden as Vice President to Obama uh, engaged uh, then-Vice President Xi Jinping in uh, 2011 and 2012, uh, repeatedly. And, you um, If you read the Obama book, uh, which I did uh, two weeks ago, and I was struck by how much importance uh, that President gave his then Vice President Joe Biden. Joe Biden was in every council, every cabinet meeting. He had a voice, he had his say. It's a different matter that Obama may have uh, uh, not taken all his advice. But the fact is that uh, he was there very much in the room. And this man uh, uh, who met Xi Jinping uh, so many times, uh, would have carried back his own impressions uh, to cabinet, and if he comes in to the Oval Office as he has, uh, uh, with a sense that, uh, "Hey, maybe all of us misread uh, the man in uh, Beijing. Uh, we need to be a little careful with this fellow." Uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, the the uh, uh, reset will be uh, a long time coming. The uh, overarching uh, uh, competition with China will probably sharpen. Uh, but will be uh, probably conducted in more polite ways. Um, but uh, that's not to say that uh, there is no scope for cooperation between uh, the two superpowers. If you remember, the uh, suspicion about China had grown substantially in the last years of uh, the Clinton administration. George W. Bush came into office, and uh, you know, then uh, 9/11 happened, and uh, for, for well, because of 9/11. That competition between the U.S. and China was thrust to the side for a while. Uh, The two actually cooperated uh, on some global issues and got things uh, going. Uh, Similarly, there is an opportunity now, uh, because it seems that COVID is not going to go away anytime soon, um, that um, these two people... Uh, can work out a way to, uh, you know, try and work through this COVID problem. It's a common problem for humanity. So uh, I'm not entirely ruling out, um, uh, you know, the possibility of uh, uh, improved relations. But at the moment, uh, things do look a little fraught. You have to remember that when Joe Biden started politics, uh, uh, Russia was the big threat to the United States, not China. China was not even on the horizon at that point as uh, any significant threat or potential rival. But today it is, but uh, but Joe carries some of that uh, still inside him. There was this uh, interview he gave to uh, a US uh, TV channel where he he listed the Russian threat uh, ahead of the uh, Chinese uh, uh, strategic rivalry as the number one uh, challenge for his administration. I mean, for what he thought is uh, 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 the most important thing for the United States.
0: Or from adversaries to allies, let's hear a clip from the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen speaking at a forum event shortly after the US election result. We will have again a friend in the White House
4: and the tone will be different. So this is completely, um, I I was about to say new, but it is something which we knew we had missed for a while and now we are happy to have that back.
0: Ursula von der Leyen, and you can almost hear the relief in her voice there. She addressed the Davos agenda earlier this week, uh, as did John Kerry. And let's just hear a little clip of him speaking, Ravi.
5: We rejoin the international climate effort with humility, and I mean that, and ambition. Humility because we know we've wasted four years in which we were inexcusably absent. But we re-enter with ambition, knowing that at the COP in Glasgow in November, all nations have to raise our sights together, or we all fail together. Our goal in Glasgow is to see all major emitting countries together raise ambition. To not be content with goals 30 years from now, but to lay out roadmaps with benchmarks starting this year to acknowledge gaps where they exist, but to show how we get there. Because we need technology breakthroughs And critically, we need to put forward real finance plans to bring the whole world along. Failure is obviously not an option.
0: We've heard from President Biden, his intentions, but I guess also just events get in the way, don't I? I remember when um, President Obama was first elected and I think he really coined this word reset. And that was in relation to. U.S. relations with Russia at the time, and he was really keen to reset relations with Moscow. And that never happened, as far as, as, far as I can tell. So w- whatever the position of a president is at the start, it will be, you know, it's hostage to events, isn't it, as everything?
4: I would completely agree with you, Robin. You know, people start out with good intentions and then uh, real politics comes into play.
0: So there are sessions today about harnessing emerging technologies in India, about Europe's green transition, about sustainable job-creating growth in Africa. Looking ahead to this year and the coming years, Ravi, where do you see the motors of economic global growth?
4: Robin, I'm uh, I'm thrilled to respond to that uh, question that you put to me because uh, I'm sitting here in the heart of Asia, in the heart of uh, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, which is Singapore, and uh, you know this is the year that uh, uh, Asia's contribution to global GDP crosses the fifty percent mark. I mean, uh, we are uh, fully fifty half the world global economy, and this year, uh, or you know, the uh, projections are for eight uh, percent growth in China. You know, you're, you're looking at a giant economy growing at eight percent. It's a big, big boost uh, to the world uh, to the world economy. Uh, likewise, uh, uh, you know, uh, from everything I can see, the Indian economy also is poised for rebound, uh, 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 with uh, some evidence of uh, herd immunity uh, actually coming into view. Uh, most of uh, Southeast Asia should start recovering from the second half of the year. Uh, you know, we're we're talking about a combined economy of three trillion dollars uh, down here in uh, in the ASEAN uh, ten. Um, but even more heartening is that. Uh, Integration is moving apace. Uh, you you'd have read that uh, the fifteen uh, uh, nations that came together to sign the RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, that was signed in November. Um, you know that, that's the ten ASEAN nations uh, along with Australia, New Zealand, uh, China, Japan, South Korea. Uh, now that uh, at some point is going to get operational uh, this year probably towards the end, uh, after a majority of the uh, uh, countries have ratified it. Um, There are very positive indications for the region. Uh, Hyundai, the uh, Korean automaker, they have announced they're going to set up an electronic vehicle uh, factory in tiny Singapore, and it's not for the home market. They're going to do it for the region.
0: You mentioned the economic agreement in Asia Pacific, of course, in Africa as well. At the start of this year, a free trade agreement within Africa has come in. So there are hopes there that that will help the economic recovery from the shock of the pandemic. The
4: thing about Africa, Robin, is that um, it really matters to the world because uh, it is the uh, future growth zone for the whole world. Uh, You know, I mean, once Asia is done, uh, once the Americans and the Europeans uh, are done developing, that is the region which is going to provide global growth. It's also a food bowl for the for the planet. Uh, at the same time, it, uh, you know, that, that region is very vulnerable. Uh, you know, just a two degree increase in temperature can take uh, between 40% and 80% uh, of the land out of cultivation and turn it into arid land. So Africa is important because it is uh, an opportunity to develop without the environmental costs suffered by the West and uh, Asia, particularly China and India. Uh, It's also an opportunity to leapfrog growth with uh, uh, new technologies that facilitate uh, education, telemedicine, uh, a whole range of stuff uh, that can be done uh, uh, well and cleanly. So the world has a big stake in Africa and I'm uh, hoping to hear some very good uh, speakers from the continent.
0: The one last thing I'd like to talk to you about is, can we get back to those levels of global economic growth in a sustainable way, in an environmentally sustainable way at a time when the world has to slash emissions? Is that... Possible. This is World Economic Forum President Burgo Brenda again on the lessons he hopes we've learned from COVID that we can now apply to climate change.
2: We have learned that the impossible is also possible. Look at the vaccines that have been developed. Usually it takes eight to 10 years to develop a vaccine. And in less than a year, there are many vaccines out there and uh, they're hopefully now working um, very well. Uh, and this is also because we have mobilized governments, but also private sector. Uh, A lot of the pharmaceuticals have uh, put all their efforts into developing uh, these um, uh, vaccines. So I think in the future, we also will see more uh, public-private cooperation uh, to solve uh, challenges. Look at also climate change. Um, Companies are now uh, leading uh, in setting Ambitious targets for being climate neutral in 2030 or 2050. We're seeing more walking the talk and not only rearranging the deck chairs on Titanic. I think it's really been a wake up call. We see what happens if we don't act. And the cost of inaction far exceeds the cost of action when it comes
0: to climate change. Now Ravi, what are your thoughts on climate change? Robin, I could respond to
4: that by just uh, talking about uh, uh, China and uh, uh, talking about one CEO who's uh, running a big uh, renewable energy company called Envision Group. Uh, this guy uh, used to uh, be in London, he used to be with Barclays, uh, He's an economist. Uh, uh, studied at the London School of Economics. Went back uh, in 2006 to start up uh, Envision. And I was talking to him over the, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, you know, he was heading to Inner Mongolia. And I said, uh, "Hey, uh, Lay, what are you doing in, in Inner Mongolia?" And he said, "Look, that's the place of the future." I said, "That sounds like a long way from home for you." He says, "Yes, but it's only 90 minutes by, uh, uh, you know." Uh, uh, speed rail from uh, Beijing. And uh, Inner Mongolia is where he thinks is going to be the future of uh, manufacturing, because that's where the big wins are. I, I see the Chinese being able to crack it. They, they've they announced that they're going to have uh, a, a net zero target by 2060. They said they'll keep it. But you know what, Robin, I think they'll be there at least five to 10 years uh, ahead of that. I mean, I'm convinced about it.
0: Climate change really has been front and centre at this Davos, but there have been so many other issues discussed too over the five days. We talked earlier in the week on Radio Davos about companies embracing measures on racial equality. And in a session today, we'll hear about the growing moves by companies to do more about disability inclusion. The valuable 500 was established two Davoses ago to get disability action into the boardroom. Its founder and director Caroline Casey will announce today that 415 companies have signed up. This is action that should achieve fairer access to jobs for the 1.3 billion people who live with some form of disability, making them the largest minority group in the world. Here's Caroline Casey on how disabled people have historically been invisible in the boardroom even when they're on the board.
5: We know that 54% of our global company boards have never had a conversation about disability. We know that even though 7% of our C-suite have a lived experience of disability, four out of five of them hiding it. In the years 2019 to 2020, only 3% of articles discussing corporate inclusion and diversity mentioned disability. Disability experience Prince, huge innovation to play, particularly in this digital time, this time of technological advancement. We forget that text messaging was designed for people who are hearing impaired and it's used by all of us. We forget that remote control was designed for people who are visually impaired and blind to watch television.
0: Caroline Casey, who'll be speaking today in a session called Delivering Social Justice in the New Economy. You can follow it live at wf.ch slash Davos Agenda at 6pm Central European Time, noon in New York, or you can find it on Catch Up there as you can find all of the week's events, and you can find all five episodes of Radio Davos at our website. You can also subscribe to our podcast, they're all at wf.ch slash podcast, and you can find this episode of Radio Davos on the Straits Times podcast channel on Apple, Spotify, and Google, as well as on Singapore's Money FM 89.3 radio station. Before today's main interview, Ravi, I'd just like to say thank you to you for co-hosting with me, and I hope you enjoyed our look at the Davos agenda.
5: I
4: sure did.
0: I'm on Radio Davos, time for today's interview. He's Sherlock Holmes. He's Iron Man. At one point, he was even Charlie Chaplin. Now Robert Downey Jr. is using his Hollywood A-list superpowers to try to save the world for real. The actor-producer has launched an initiative to attract investment into sustainable technologies. In a chat with the forum's president, Borger Brenda, recorded by CNBC, the movie star admitted this wasn't his usual scene.
1: It's very odd to have woken up this morning. Usually they say, "What are you? Oh, I'm doing this big movie, or we're doing another Sherlock, or this or that." And you, go, "Yay! What are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm launching a fund at Davos, and I'm, I'm talking to y'all. This is an educational forum where we get to be backstage at the world, and there are major players who are, they are the
0: Footprint Coalition has already put money into things like biodegradable plastics using consumer goods." carbon-neutral protein for human and animal food derived from insects, and a brand of forest-friendly toilet paper called cloud paper, which is made of bamboo. And using his Hollywood contacts, Robert Downey Jr. is attracting creatives who could help tell the stories behind the big ideas, some of which you can see at the website footprintcoalition.com. In this interview, he explained his venture into green venture capitalism.
1: I'm here to uh, accelerate groundbreaking technologies uh, and that are addressing this, this existential crisis. And I want to open up access, the access that for some reason I have been fortunate enough to glean. I want you to feel that and I want you to participate. I want to fast track everyone I can to be in the position that we get to occupy today where we are in the conversation and we are moving the dialogue forward. Part of what we do is we, we generate content that builds a community and grows an audience. And then we, we can leverage that into getting uh, eyes on deal flows that normally uh, would be very exclusive. Say for instance, we found a, a product like, um, like a, a better toilet paper, uh, cloud paper, and uh, we're, we would generate content about that so people see, oh, they're telling a story about why, how this offsets carbon emissions and why it's better for us. And then that shows other companies or, or uh, potential uh, partners, they actually kind of know how to simply message what we're doing and really talking about the people behind it and the ideas and then show that this can be brought to scale. And then if we're able to supercharge that with, with our venture fund, um, it just seems like I'm not just trying to go to Vegas and hit it. So I think part of this is removing that fear factor and saying we can create a better business model just by trying to not be exactly like what was before us while still taking the lessons from that. So uh, we're, we're getting... a. A, a real um, interesting uh, bunch of feedback points on how that seems to be working so far. So we're just going to keep heading down that road.
0: Robert Downey Jr. reflected on his role as Iron Man.
1: It's it's funny, being able to play someone who needed technology to get themselves out of a cave where one of their own weapons had had, you know, given them shrapnel in their heart. I mean, I don't know what Stan Lee was thinking back in the sixties, but it was a bit of a, uh, a time loop from the Vietnam era to kind of where we had found ourselves now. And I just, I'm a, I like studying deep on a subject. This happened to be genre filmmaking, but if you'd asked me, I was doing a biopic about a real person. So when that contract ran out, a, I had been asked to be a keynote speaker at the Remars um, uh, convention and I had done a uh, a series for YouTube on AI, and when we got back and people said, you know, more people watched the first episode of that, or, or with more listens or downloads, or whatever you call it nowadays, than like Joe Rogan's biggest podcast. And I thought, oh, I think I'm supposed to lean into this. Um, and then it's just been again when you're engaged and being stimulated by all of the possibility of of something. While having diligence and while being teachable, I just think that really the sky's the limit. Complacency sets in when it feels like there is not a next action item.
0: Robert Downey Jr. had this to say on the need for a rapid transition away from fossil fuels and the need to reach out to people, especially those in America, whose livelihoods depend on those activities.
1: You know, having occasionally fallen prey to the limousine liberal, we're just going to say, can you believe how we're destroying our planet? And rather than building the optimism, which is already part and parcel, as we know, to the emerging generation, some of my thoughts also go to, well, what did these uh, petrochemical companies, how do we assist them in transitioning out of what has been their infrastructure for half a century minimum, into uh not just saying well you know a a revolution means that you know heads are going on the chopping block it's like so between there's problem solving to be done and how to do that peaceful transfer literally of energy and power and materials and food and ag tech and transportation and advanced engineering as an american i think about my brothers and sisters in the heartland and in the red states that Their values must be addressed. They must be brought into the fold in a way that makes sense for their values.
0: And so what would he say to those people who deny that human-induced climate change is really happening?
1: Uh, I would say I can relate. You know, um, science is not always an exact science. And there is plenty of uh, historical um, uh, truisms to back that up. When what we thought it was, it wasn't. Um, Again, it's like, what's your felt sense of this? Um, When the Malibu fires started ramping up in a way that was very out of sync with the uh, three decades previous, you know, you kind of start going, Hmm. And, and again, does the planet want to write itself? Yes. I have some belief in that Gaia principle that the earth is a single organism. We can get as far out as you want, but when it seems like it is lapping up against your front door, you just want to hope it's not too late. Because if you can't catch up with the reality of something in time to, to, to quell it, that is a horrible place to be. So it's almost just the, and again, part of what we can do with this messaging is I don't want to just preach to the choir. I really, really believe that some of the greatest problem solving challenges are going to be. We have to not. They are not the other. We are. We all need to come to a language that we can agree on and understand, and also something again, like I said before, that makes sense to their value set. We have to see where they're right, not where they don't get it. And uh, and I really feel that if we can do that, it's going to it's going to make the job you know, 30 times easier. And I think that sense of novelty, rather than feeling like it's being preached at me and I already did something wrong, even though I haven't even, you know, read the paper today, it's that thing of get involved, catch the buzz of this. This is going to be a really cool ride and it's going to work.
0: Actor, producer and now green entrepreneur Robert Downey Jr. speaking with World Economic Forum President Berger Brendan. You can follow The Davos Agenda live and on catch up at wf.ch davosagenda Davos Agenda where you can also hear all episodes of Radio Davos and you can subscribe to the podcast version on our Great Reset feed. Just search either for Radio Davos or for The Great Reset wherever you get your podcasts. Radio Davos has been a podcast from the World Economic Forum. It was written and presented by me, Robin Pomeroy with additional reporting this week by Charlotte Beale, Anna Bruce Lockhart, Gail Markowitz, Jill Cassar, and Alex Court. Studio production was by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back soon with a podcast recap on some of the best moments of the Davos Agenda Week. To keep up with all our podcasts, please visit wf.ch slash podcasts and join the club on Facebook. Just search World Economic Forum Podcast Club. For now, from me, Robin Pomeroy, thanks for listening and joining me at the World Economic Forum's Davos Agenda Week. And for now, goodbye.